0: I'm Alex Underwood, the managing director of Empire Energy. We are an ASX listed upstream oil and gas company developing a very large gas project in Australia's Beetaloo basin. Very large nice indeed. It's huge. But
1: anyway, first things first, welcome to the UK. Uh, what do you do over here?
0: Yeah, so over meeting with investors and um, yeah, spreading the story about Empire as we look to move into production.
1: Yeah, yeah. well, let's let's kind of get into it, maybe by setting the scene for people who haven't heard the story before. So give us, give us a bit more detail about the assets that you got, because you're US and Australia.
0: Yeah, so the old focus of this company was uh, investing in mature, conventional producing upstream oil and gas assets in the US. Um, back in about uh, the late 2000s, we owned some assets in Pennsylvania and um, quite fortuitously, held acreage that was uh, sitting on the Marcellus Shale, which is a very prolific US shale basin, Mm -hmm. now produces about 25% of America's natural gas. And uh, the company sold those shale rights at a very substantial profits and started looking for shale acreage closer to home. So we were one of the first companies back in 2011 to peg acreage in the Beetaloo and MacArthur basins in Australia. Um, And uh, since that time, we've increased our holdings. We now have about 29 million acres under lease, which is an enormous acreage position. We have a total prospective resource booked by Netherlands Sul and Associates of over 42 trillion cubic feet of gas, which is a truly globally scaled uh, project. And over the recent years, we've been focusing on de-risking that project. So, So we started off with an exploration phase, done two seismic surveys. We've drilled four wells. These include horizontal drilling and fracking, which is the technology that unlocks shale in the US. And along with others in the basin, uh, uh, there's now a, a significant increase in activity. And now we are looking to move into a phase of pilot production. Right. Okay. Um,
1: U.S. is where you came from, but the focus is Australia. So are, have you, are you allocating any time, money and effort to the US component?
0: Not particularly. So that's a mature asset that's um, you know, producing a few million cubic feet a day. And you know, when gas prices are good, it makes good money. But really, the focus for us is un- is un- in unlocking the huge potential of this right. Australian. So tell us about the Basin,
1: because there's, there's a couple of other players there which people may or may not have heard of. Um, you know, and what was the sort of history in terms of production levels for the Basin?
0: Yeah, sure. So this this basin has been described by others, such as Andrew Liveris, the former executive chairman of Dow Chemical, as one of the largest accumulations of gas on Earth. It's the third largest shale gas deposit on Earth. Uh, it comprises of four stacked pay zones. Uh, one of those four zones, which is the focus of industry right now, contains over 500 trillion cubic feet of gas in place. So a truly globally scaled resource. Um, There are three major operators in the basin right now. So there's Empire Energy, uh, another company called Tambor and Resources, and then also Santos, a major Australian uh, uh, producer. Um, In terms of the focus of the industry right now, it's been very well known for a number of years through historical drilling that this enormous resource is in place Uh, But ultimately, in order to create value from a large gas resource, you have to extract that gas economically. And so with the significant technological advancements in the U.S. that I mentioned, uh, the operators in the basin are now looking to bring that technology from the quite mature U.S. shale industry and apply it to the Betaloo. So drilling horizontal wells, carrying out fracture stimulation. And, you know, the basin itself particularly given the work from Empire and, and our neighbors Tamborin, is right on the cusp now of moving from that exploration and appraisal phase into the commencement of commercial production. Well, that's the bit I want to get to, okay? Because I cause
1: I think in these sort of economic environments that we've been through, oil and gas, been through, mining has been through, it's been tough in the terms of the equities, it's been yep. tough to raise affordable capital to do what you want to do. But what has changed is people's view of their business model, their strategy for getting, getting to market, or at least some exit mm. components. So for you guys, remind us what you're at, okay, we, we've been talking about this horizontal fracking mm. and technology, give us a little bit about what you've been doing, how successful you've been and what, what you're seeing.
0: Yeah, sure. So uh, I joined the company in 2018. And over the last few years, we've been moving through that exploration and appraisal journey. So we started off with seismic surveys to identify where these rocks are under the ground and we could see a continuation of the shale formations from the neighboring blocks. We, we sit next door to Santos. Um, then we drilled our first vertical well that that penetrated through these shales and confirmed that we had very large volumes of gas in place. Um, and <clears throat> since then, we've, we've drilled another three wells. Two of those wells have been horizontal wells drilled into the middle Valkyrie B formation, which is, as I mentioned, the core focus of everyone in the basin. Mm-hmm. Uh, And essentially, what you're looking to do is drill down into the formation and then stay in the formation as you drill horizontally, um, which we've been able to do very successfully. The first horizontal well had a 1.25 kilometre horizontal section. The next horizontal well had a 2.6 kilometre horizontal section. And then once you've drilled the well into that formation, then you carry out various designs of fracture stimulation, which... It's quite a complicated sounding word, but what it's actually at its heart is doing is using hydraulic pressure by pumping down water to create cracks in this rock to allow the the gas to um, come out of the rock. And so on our first horizontal well, we did what was at the time the biggest fracture stimulation job in Australian history. That was a 21 stage frack. In the second well, we did a we, we broke our own record with about twice as many frack stages. Um, and on both of those wells, we've seen results that indicate to us that this can be an economic proposition. So uh, on the first well, uh, Carpenteria 2H, uh, across those 21 frack stages, we used multiple different designs because there is an element of learning how to optimise your frack design over time. And yet on that well, we achieved about three to three and a half million cubic feet of gas per day. What excites us about that is that when we move into this next phase of development, we will be drilling uh, three kilometre horizontal sections and we'll be doing 60 frack stages. And that would allow us to, all other things being equal, get about nine million cubic feet a day. And given the state of the Australian gas market right now, that that looks like a highly Economic proposition for us. Okay,
1: we'll get on to the economics of the, of the yeah, market sure. in a second. One point two kilometers, two point car? Two point six kilometers. Two point six kilometers. kilometers. Yeah. Sounds expensive, is it?
0: It's um yeah. Look, I mean, it's it's not cheap. Um, you know, normal conventional drilling is 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 significantly cheaper. Um, the thing about drilling horizontally and fracture stimulating is that you can get very large volumes of gas out of the ground, and and that's that's the real prize here. We can we can extract large volumes of gas with a relatively small number of wells and a relatively small surface footprint. So both each of those wells cost us around 25 million Australian dollars, which I guess in US dollars, is about 17 million US dollars. Um, I would note though that across all of the shale basins that have been developed in the US, there are very well established cost learning curves. So When you send a rig out to these remote areas to drill one well, there are a lot of costs involved in just getting everything on site to get drilling. Um, Once you scale up and drill multiple wells in a program, you see very significant opportunities for cost savings. So we've done some very detailed costing work, and we believe that in the full-scale scenarios, we should be able to reduce those costs by around 50%.
1: Okay, okay. And it's, it almost doesn't matter what the cost is, it does what your margins are. So what, what I'm trying to get at is a sense of how do you control your cost structure at the moment to get to where you need to be? So you've done some wells, how many more wells need to be done to kind of prove the point?
0: So yeah, so it's a constant learning journey in shale yeah. gas development. Um, again, if you look at some of the US basins, despite the fact that thousands upon thousands of wells have been drilled in these basins, Productivity continues to grow and it's because it's a constant process of optimising. Mm-hmm. So how far apart you space your frac stages, how how much water you pump into these stages to optimise the size of the fracks, um, the concentration of sand that you put into those fracks to hold the fracks open, what type of fluid systems you use. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you're continually increasing productivity. Um, you know... It, on our numbers, we're looking at uh, extracting somewhere in the order of eight to ten BCF of gas per well, and you know to put that into dollar terms, at a $10 gas price, that's about 80 to 100 million dollars of revenue per well. In the US, in these mature basins with very similar rocks to ours, they're now getting up to 30 BCF of gas per well, and so you know if, if you look at the US experience, they now have the cheapest gas in the world, and it's really because. Um, these shale basins are so prolific, right? But you're, you're testing this. Over, I guess what I want to try and understand is what the decline rates look
1: like, and in terms of you know the what's the expected total amount of gas that you're, you're pulling out of the ground per well, yeah, and what's sure. that return on the investment?
0: Yeah. So as I mentioned, um, over the life of a well, and these these wells tend to produce for about thirty years because once they come online, the marginal operating cost is is negligible. It's why, is basic- that, why is
1: that? Because how are you managing the field, as it were? You, you've got, obviously, you're extracting from one location, but yes. you're managing the field from other locations. What does that involve?
0: Yeah. So the, the the process that we're going through right now, we've been carrying out this test drilling. And in that phase where you're not connected into a pipeline for sales, you simply flare the gas over a short period of time, yeah. say 90 days. Yeah. And that gives you an indication of the production profile of the well. These wells do tend to come on at very high rates, then they tend to drop quite quickly and then level off, right? And produce at a lower rate for a very long period of
1: time with help, as, as in geotech con- as con- a continual opex cost to kind of in yeah, terms so, of like forcing it, pumping water down elsewhere to kind of manage that field. Is I guess
0: yeah. So the yeah. So the the cost of managing the field once it's in production is very minimal. So essentially, what you do is you you drill the well, you carry out these fracks. yeah. Then you um, bring, under the pressure of the earth, you bring a portion of that water back to surface, and then the gas breakthrough occurs and it starts producing. Over that remaining life of the well, the, the, the marginal operating cost is minimal. It's essentially people in the field, you know, checking gauges and things like that. And that's what gives them these very long lives. Um, given that they come on at high rates and then drop quite quickly before levelling off, what you tend to find is that the payback on the capital invested yeah. is very, very short. So um, to use the uh, one of our wells as an example, Carpentaria 2H, that produced about um, 300 million cubic feet of gas over only four months. As I mentioned, the future development wells will be three times the size. So that's about a BCF of gas in the first four months. And so at a $10 gas price, you're actually getting... You know close to half your total capital cost back just in a few months right and so these wells tend to have very high internal rates of return and then decent you know, rois um which allows you to reinvest your capital into continuing to grow the production base okay so you're sitting in a big field someone's described as the
1: biggest in the world whatever has worked for us it's big um small small company. Well, you've got to be careful with how you allocate your capital. Yes. it's tough to raise money in this market. I get the return profile that you're talking about in terms of that return on capital invested. Um, do you? What, what's the what's the end game for you here? Because you, you, last time we talked, we talked about you know, from doing LNG up into Darwin. We yeah. talked about you know, pumping domestic gas, you know, for use on the east coast of Australia, Brisbane, etc. Yeah. Um, how do how do you has your plan changed?
0: No, not at all. So um, we have a three phase commercialization strategy. Phase one in, is involved in putting a relatively modest amount of gas into the existing pipeline that traverses our tenement. Yeah. Um, now I say relatively modest, but to, to fill that pipe, which is about 25 million cubic feet of gas a day, that would get us to over $100 million of revenue a year, which is quite material for a company yeah. of our size. Then in the later phases, we're looking at much higher volumes, so a couple of hundred million cubic feet a day in phase two, and ultimately this field is big enough that we could move to, you know, a, a thousand, a, a billion cubic feet of gas a day into LNG export. Having said that, um, you know, I spent ten years of my career uh, as as an investor and financier of upstream oil and gas companies at Macquarie Bank, and so I have a very, very keen awareness of the capital intensity of this industry that we work in. Um, That has driven in many ways our our phased approach to commercialising this project. So looking to, I guess, ring fence the amount of capital involved in getting us into production and cash flow. And also, I think when I look back at some of the um, similar companies that uh, have been very successful for Australian investors, I think a very strong analogy to what we're trying to do was the coal seam methane boom in Queensland. So there were companies um, such as Queensland Gas and Arrow Energy. um, And interestingly, a number of our major shareholders were major shareholders of these companies, so they see a similar opportunity. And these were companies that were sitting on enormous deposits of coal seam gas in Queensland. The ultimate end game with those deposits was that an an entire LNG export industry was built around it. So there are now three LNG export terminals in Gladstone in Queensland, six trains, about $50 billion of capital has been invested. And it's been a game changer for Australia's economy. But those companies that were successful as small companies in the early days were really focused on demonstrating that the gas could be extracted commercially. And that doesn't require $50 billion. That can be done in a much more modest huh. way when it comes to capital investment. And then ultimately, you know what, what we are looking to achieve, which did occur in coal seam, methane in Queensland, is if we can demonstrate that the gas can be extracted commercially by drilling multiple wells and having long-term production tests, which we will be able to demonstrate with this pilot phase, huh. we believe that that will bring in Uh, significant capital from, you know, the super major oil and gas companies and so on.
1: Okay. Those are different days, right? The infrastructure
0: wasn't there.
1: The markets were different. They're much worse now, but you have the infrastructure. So it's all swings and roundabouts. It comes back to how do you play it, right? So you're going through this pilot phase at the moment. You're trying to demonstrate, are there commercial volumes of gas down there? I guess your shareholders are going to know, dilution right yeah do you need to continue to raise money and if so how much to get to the point where you prove to industry that there's commercial volumes down there or do you say well actually we know we we're onto something here we can get some gas into the existing pipeline which you're not having to pay for thank goodness um and start getting some revenues going that that's easy when i talked you earlier about the change of mentality and strategy of companies. Yeah, kind of. That's what I'm referring to. People are getting a little bit cuter with getting the money in sooner rather than later, rather than demonstrating massive sight. It's not quite as economic initially, yep. but you play catch up. It's yep. fine. So where are you at?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's my view that the first molecule of gas that we sell will, will be the most valuable molecule we ever sell because it will completely change the market's perception of us as a company. We're a cash flow generator. Um, in order to achieve that goal, we have been very focused on doing that in the most capital efficient manner possible. Um, you know, From my own perspective, I've invested quite a lot of my own money in this company. So I'm not just you know, incentivized by options, which is sort of all upside and no downside. And so I do think like the shareholders. And to that end, um, I believe that our strategy around this phase one pilot project it is looking like it can be a highly capital efficient opportunity. So um, one recent development for us late last year is that we have acquired a, an existing gas processing facility from AGL, one of Australia's largest energy suppliers. That's a facility that has been processing gas from a field on the outskirts of Sydney for about the last 15 years. It's a, it's a great little asset. It's, it's passed all our stringent technical due diligence tests. It's currently in one of the yards in Queensland doing refurbishment. That's an asset that we acquired for about two and a half million dollars, which was a fantastic result because to build a new facility of that scale um, would have cost around 70 million Australian dollars. Um, But also it allows us to accelerate our timeline to first gas because there are very long lead times involved in the compressors, which are the key engines on these facilities. So we've got that facility. We'll be installing that facility on the project later this year, obviously, you know, subject to a final investment decision that we're approaching with our board. Um, The other key piece of capital that uh, we need to raise will be involved in drilling some more development wells to hook into this pilot project. Our current plan is to drill up to about three of these development wells, and they twenty five million. Yeah, they're each? about twenty five million dollars each, so that could be up to seventy five million Australian dollars. We do have the option to drill less wells and yeah. incrementally go into production, but okay. you know, assuming we can raise the capital, that's the but optimal. How, how, you, how do you raise that capital?
1: People yeah. will be leaning in now, going, well, "Hang on, yeah, so, yep.
0: what? Yep, compared no. to market cap, what? What?
1: So." Do you get a strategic in? Do you look at alternative non-dilutive forms of financing? Is it a combination of all of the above? How, how how do you get through that?
0: Yeah. So what I can tell you is, we're not going to be going out and raising seventy-five or eighty million dollars of nice. equity capital. That's <laughs> That's Good. absolutely not the uh, intention. And, um, yeah. You know, again, uh, you know, the, I guess you know one of the skill sets that I bring to this role is that I was formerly involved in innovative forms of financing for projects very similar to this one. So there's a a couple of key milestones coming up, which we believe will allow us to raise capital in a a more capital efficient manner. So right now we are um, in negotiations with parties around the execution of our first ever gas sales agreement. Um, The Northern Territory market right now is currently critically short of gas due to the decline of an existing field called black tip, which is really the power source for all of Darwin, uh, but also mines up and down the length and breadth of the Northern Territory. Um, The Northern Territory government has actually been buying uh, what's called emergency gas that would otherwise be exported to Asia. So, right, you can imagine that's a horrifically expensive exercise for them. Um, And so the Northern Territory market desperately needs a source of new gas, Very soon. Okay. Um, And what that creates as an opportunity for us is, you know, we expect in the not too distant future to have a gas sales agreement in place at a decent price. Okay. Now, what that will allow us to do is look at project financing, for example. Yeah. Um, We have an existing debt facility in place with my former employer, Macquarie Bank, who have been great supporters of ours. and there will be the ability for us to borrow against that stream of future cash flows. And ultimately, what we're looking to do here is to minimise the dilution of shareholders' okay. interests.
1: Okay, so forward sales. Good. Yeah. we like that. And that's specifically Darwin Focus
0: with the decline of... Um, so what was that? So there's an existing field called Black Tip. Black Tip. Um, which um, the, the contract that Power Water Corporation and arm of the NT government has with the operator of that field to acquire that gas is for 105 terajoules a day. The last I looked it was down to about 20 terajoules a day. Um, The city of Darwin itself uses about 40 to 50 a day Um, so there's a critical shortage but also there are mines around the territory that are solely reliant on gas as their feedstock. Um, In terms of other sources of potential gas so there's a, there's a field operated by Santos called Bayou Undan that has been helping to fill the gap. Yeah. Um, but just in the last few days, Santos announced in their quarterly that that field will reach the end of its life in the first half of this calendar year. So wow. there's a critical need for more gas to come into the market. Right and we fortuitously are working on a timeline that would look to fill that gap. Okay, so that's quite
1: that's quite a good. Domestic use case rather than exporting. Uh,
0: yeah, I think that's fantastic.
1: Um, So we're up in Darwin and we've got this facility outside of Sydney as well for the condensing, etc. So yeah. priority, allocation of time, and obviously get the Darwin thing. Forward sales, perfect. It allows you to borrow cheaply, yeah. more cheaply against those forward sales. How much is? I mean, how much are you spending down in Sydney, and when do we, would you expect to be able to actually monetize that?
0: Yeah. So as I mentioned, we we acquired this plant for about two and a half million dollars. Yeah. Um, there, there will be some further capital investment involved in uh, the refurbishment work that's going on now, and then transporting it and what, installing it. What, what is
1: that in relation
0: to putting another well in? Yeah. So it, 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 there's a range of cost estimates on that facility, and it, it depends on whether we drill wells from just one pad or move out to another pad, right. but it's, it's somewhere in the 30 to $50 million range. Right. Um, and you know, we, we are looking at various funding options on that, but, but one of the opportunities there, which again could be a, a highly capital efficient way for us to move into production, uh, could be working uh, further with APA Group, with whom uh, we've already executed uh, some agreements. Um, So APA Group, they're Australia's largest energy infrastructure operator. They're about a $10 or $12 billion company. Uh, They own pipelines all over Australia and particularly on Australia's east coast. They have a continuous network of pipes from Gladstone to Brisbane to Sydney and Melbourne, another market that is facing critical shortages. Um, uh, the, The ACCC, Australia's competition regulator, has predicted that by the 2030s, there could be a shortfall of about 300 million cubic feet of gas per day which is about half the market so um, APA's core strategy here is looking to build a much larger pipeline to connect the Betalud to the east coast in order to help fulfill those or you know to fill that demand supply gap um, and uh, you know we are very grateful for their support in terms of some of the early stage work that's being done so in order for APA to have the confidence to to build that very large pipeline, could, which could be a you know, billion dollars in investment, they would obviously need to have reserves booked of scale in the Beedaloo, they'd need to see large long-term offtake agreements with East Coast markets. And what they are looking at doing to help help us and our neighbours and move into development to get to that stage of maturation of the basin is to help with funding on some of these pilot projects. And we're in discussions with them around the potential for them to provide the capital for those surface facilities, yep. uh, which obviously then we would repay through the cash flows of yep. the operation. That's fine. That makes sense. Um, can, you,
1: can we talk about, okay, you've got three stages or three phases that yep. you want to go through. in stage two, master stage three, even bigger, fantastic. Yep. But first things first, you've got to get over
0: the line. What's the time frame we're looking at to get to revenue? It's actually not that far away. So, um, you know, I've been in this job for about five or six years now. And, um, you know, we, we, we have a plan for this year that is as follows. So over the next five months, between now and the end of the first half of this year, we are working on execution of gas sales agreements, uh, completing the, the funding packages that I've just described. Uh, the regulatory approvals. So there's a key regulatory document called an Environment Management Plan, which is a Northern Territory approval. Uh, We'll be submitting that document in the next week or two. Um, I should stress that'll be the fifth EMP for us. So we've had four successfully approved before and we've operated within the parameters of those documents. Um, And then also the Indigenous sign-off. So we've been in active discussions with our traditional owner partners around moving from the exploration phase into the production phase. Um, And we're we're looking at doing all of that work with a view to getting a final investment decision sign off from our board in the middle of the year. That would have us in the field in the second half of the year installing the gas plant and all the surface facilities drilling up to three wells. And then um, in the event that we can carry out that plan, we would actually be in commercial production and sales early next year. So we're looking at around 12 months to first cash flow. Not too bad.
1: Well, I, I like this conversation
0: because I'm, I'm,
1: I'm not spending time talking about technically, can you find the stuff? Yeah, okay. it's, it's there. I've got that confidence. <laughs> it's there. I'm, what I've got out of this is there's a plan to commercialize this thing and in short order. So I appreciate you coming in. Stay in touch Thank you very much. You get Great on. to see you, okay, mate.
0: Cheers.